Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Sherlock's In Conversation With podcast. Today I'm joined by Jules Perrone, founder of travel consultancy Perone International. I thought now would be a good time to chat to Jules. I've always really admired her career and her success, but uh, it's a particularly challenging time for anyone in the travel industry right now. Plus, I thought we'd finish on a bit of chat about where the queen of travel likes to go herself and recommends that when we're through this, we all do. I have to remind you that we are recording remotely so if the sound isn't tip top then do please forgive us anyway on with today's podcast a big welcome Jules thank you so much for joining us no thank you so much for inviting me you're you're absolutely right it is a pretty tough time out there for the travel industry and uh it's good to talk about it oh I know well I've got so much to ask you I have been wanting to do a success stories podcast with you for a long time actually Jules Jules I've known you well since we were at university and I've been so interested in your journey and in the business that you have created you started off in PR and I know you got a history degree from Edinburgh University and then you went into PR I think what's interesting is you've built this incredible business you are hugely respected in the industry and I would just love to hear a little bit about that journey so you left Edinburgh when I did tell us what happened next so I was absolutely convinced when I left Edinburgh that I'd go into the Foreign Office. That's that's why I did history. I love traveling. I love visiting new places, cultures, history, obviously, especially. And I failed badly in getting into the Foreign Office. I was trying to get into the intelligence service, clearly not intelligent enough, and um, was wondering what on earth to do. And a great friend, actually, also Edinburgh, was working in a travel PR agency and said, hey, you know what? come and spend a few weeks here, do some work experience. And I just couldn't believe this amazing job existed where basically you're promoting some of the best hotels in the world, traveling, visiting places, you know, promoting destinations and and actually sort of got involved in it and, and just decided that if I, you know, gave everything to this incredible industry, then you get so much back. So I worked my way up, um, started in various agencies and then eight years ago, I set up a business with somebody else. And three years ago, I um, did a very dramatic corporate divorce, split the business in half and took (laughs) 18 of my team. And now we're a team of 40 in London, in a beautiful office in St. James's. And we're opening our office in New York this week. Great timing or not, as the case may be. But, you know, we're committed to it. We've absolutely got a brilliant team starting out there. We've We've got two people in Europe, one in Barcelona and one in Germany. So, the business has grown, you know. Have wow, never a- I mean, can we just stop there for a second? That's <laughs> incredible. You know, for people listening, I can't tell you how respected Jules is in the industry, in the PR business, in the travel business. And it's not just PR, is it? I think that's that's also what's interesting is you've yeah. really branched out. You've watched the world of traditional print PR change and diversify and move into a digital space. And you've really yeah. done that with your business, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. So basically what we've done is we started very traditional PR and realized quite quickly that that's becoming 
increasingly not redundant but the sort of old-fashioned model of how you do PR just is not going to be relevant in the next three to five years for sure Mm. and increasingly our clients were saying to us look you're so good at what you do on the PR site can you help us with sales can you help us with social media can you help us with influencer work and actually can you just get involved in our general strategy of how as a brand we move forward into the next five years the next 10 years so we kind of have this holistic approach to how we look at a hotel you own a hotel And we'll go in and go, right, this is a communication strategy. This is what we're going to do with influencers. This is what we're going to do on the sales side. You know what? You need to be working with these wedding planners, these commercial partners, some brand partnerships. Hey, your social media, frankly, is terrible. Let's help you. And actually, you could fire your chef as well whilst you're at it, or you could put in a spa. (laughs) um, Because, you know... It's a real partnership. Yeah, it's and it's become a sort of real, true consultancy. And that's what we always wanted it to be. And I think it's really helped us in a time like this. Because mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, in tough times, PR budgets are quite an easy one to cut for a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can bring it back in six months or whatever. But actually, we're so intertwined with our clients and their businesses now that actually we're such an integral part of what they're doing. I think it's been a huge help to so us. They, how do you find running a business? I mean, 40 staff... I I'm in a similar boat. It's tough, but I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way. Would you agree with that? I'm sure you would. Do you know what? There's parts of it I absolutely love and parts of it that just are so exhausting and overwhelming at times. And you'll know it, Georgie, like HR is tricky. And Mm. I went to uni and I did history and suddenly I'm managing all these people and it's the thing that I'm not the best at. I have an incredible business mentor who I see once a week and I probably speak to her now every day, but she's helped me grow the business. And she's always said to me, I'm terrible at HR. But you have to learn and you have to learn on the spot because when you've got a business like yours and mine, which have grown quite quickly, you don't have time to go and sort of do a management course. You've just got to feel it and obviously do the right thing. And if you don't feel it, bring someone in who can feel it, I suppose. Absolutely. And I've just hired a COO, actually, who I have to say has come in. And I know already that it's the best thing I've ever done because that senior level support and it's been difficult to justify for, you know, to get my head around the numbers on it. But actually, it's been completely brilliant because it allows myself or you as the business leader to go and apply yourself to the stuff that you're good at rather than yeah. getting stuck dealing with spreadsheets, HR. Yeah, yeah you know, I fully agree with that. We actually hired a head of operations, so a similar role. And, and for me, that was just so liberating. And I was very aware that I wasn't able to give my team, you know, the emotional attention that they needed and the support they needed to fulfill their roles and to be yeah, fulfilled by their jobs, essentially. And, <laughs> yes. Um, it was a really good move. And someone said, I, I can't remember who it was, I interviewed someone once who said that was one of the first hires that they made. And I thought, God, why was I so slow to it? Anyway, you know, it's a number to justify, well, isn't it, when you think you can manage for yourself. But it, you reap the rewards. <laughs> you definitely yeah. reap the rewards. And how are you coping as a business owner now <laughs> you're laughing I'm smiling it's yeah. pretty tough I would yeah. say I think there's a lot of help at the moment for employees a lot of support from the government coming from employees I'm waiting to discover all the support that's going to come for SMEs I don't feel there's enough yet how are you finding yeah, it? Do you it's, feel like you're getting support I think the problem is this word that's you know unprecedented is is quite struggling me crazy I mean you and I probably never knew the term force majeure or furlough or any of these terms two weeks ago and suddenly they're like in our everyday psyche drilling into your Mm. head 
it's so difficult to get your head around, you know, and I sit there with finance calls every day, we're trying to work our way through it. But it's tough, you know, the furlough scheme is great to a degree if your business is going to come back exactly as it was. Furloughing for people listening is the government paying up to 80% of your salary capped at two and a half grand a month. Yeah, um, but so it's, it's a job protection scheme. Probably there are some people listening that might not have heard of it. So yeah, the furlough scheme, the, this government scheme is sort of good to a degree that is for, you know, restaurants and bars and stuff who know hopefully that come whenever the lockdown stops will bounce back probably better than ever they'll need their staff more than ever our business you know we run on monthly retainers and if they stop obviously and the the clients need to hold back money for six months before they start working with us again that makes it tricky with furloughing because right now we don't know how long that's going to go on for we don't know you know even though the government has saying that they'll pay the you know salaries by the end of each month actually they haven't even told people where the online portal is yet so mm. there's so much up in the air that it's scary and mm. we're we're doing our best my team has been phenomenal pay cuts you know what everyone in our industry's had to do i mean it's it's fairly standard in the hotel business now 50% pay cuts in the hotel world we haven't had to be that dramatic yet but unfortunately we have had to make some redundancies we have furloughed some staff we're doing what we can to protect the team as much as we possibly can but you know the biggest question mark that everybody's got right now is when will this thing end and mm. when will it end but also when will people be able to get on an airplane again we don't mm. know that yet I think domestic travel is obviously going to come back quicker. And that's great for the UK. Hopefully, the industry are going to need it. It's going to be quite a changed industry. I think we're going to see a lot of brands that we know really struggling. I mean, just think of something like the cruise industry, which is just absolutely, you know, one of the biggest parts of the travel industry that there is. You only open a weekend paper and you see you know, the money that the cruise industry's got and had mm. through, you know, and that's just been decimated. What do you think the future of the cruise industry will look like? Non-existent? Why? Because people are never going to want to be in that no, close proximity. Ab- absolutely not. It will bounce back. I think people are going to choose smaller ships. They're going to choose, I think, the sort of horror of being stuck on one of those, you know, 7,000 people cruise ships in the ocean, which can't dock anywhere because people have got the virus. I think, you know, an older clientele, which is the cruise industry, um, are going to be very afraid of that going forward. But I think, you know, there are some amazing brands out there doing great things, Uniworld, Mm. River Cruising. You know, people are going to just choose companies that have a sort of smaller capacity, more space, but the sort of golden days of the huge ships, and there's so many ships launching every kind of week and month, these massive, massive ships, that I think that's going to change. And I think in general, the industry, you know, the UK has got a lot of big travel companies. And I think it's going to be a sort of survivor of the fittest in many ways for a lot of those businesses. They've got to talk well to their consumers. They've got to work closely with them. They've got to have great values, be generous, be thoughtful. People are going to have quite changed values when we come back after this. Mm. Um, And that's going to apply to everything we spend our money on, you know, retail, the shops we choose, the places we want to go to. And people are being able to see now how brands are treating their staff, their community, and they're going to choose those brands that are doing the right thing. That's what I truly believe. For people listening, your clients are, I mean, God, you work with the best names in the travel industry. It's phenomenal. We're so lucky. So we have a real mixture. It's all based in the hospitality space. So hotels, bars, restaurants within hotels, travel brands like Scott Dunn, the leading UK luxury tour operator. It sounds very easy to go, oh yeah, it's all sort of high-end luxury. It's actually not. And it's becoming 
becoming increasingly different to that. I try and avoid the word luxury because actually I think when people choose a holiday now, they want you know, as much a sort of £100 a night bed and breakfast, as much as they want to stay in a beautiful Six Senses resort in Oman. It's a real mixture of what we've got now. And that's what we love because that's what's relevant. That's that's how people want to travel. And yeah, we look after some phenomenal hotels, the Bristol Paris, Hotel Decapied in Rock, the Lowell in New York, Singita in Africa. But they're all privately owned. They all have a, I think they've just got a bigger picture strategy than just another luxury hotel chain or a big group that's just growing, growing, growing. Are they okay? Are they going to get through this? You know, what yes, we are they going are. to see is a lot of travel businesses. I mean, they're obviously hotels. A lot of agents and operators who aren't going to make it. Are they all well-placed? What have they done? Have yes. they just shut I, their doors? They've no, they, their staff? They... So the majority of our hotels are closed. They've had to because they physically can't open. Staff aren't allowed to be there, etc. A couple of hotels around the world are still staying open, weirdly. The Lowell in New York, which is an amazing property on the Upper East Side, has got residential guests who've decided to move into the Lowell and be holed up there for the next few months and room nice. service is being delivered and, you know. I don't even want to know what that costs, but, you know, one can dream. <laughs> that would be nice, um, wouldn't it? I tell you what, if I could get there, I, I would be there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and other hotels very reluctantly had to close recently but you know this furloughing has saved the industry in in the UK there's no doubt about it and it's protected a lot of staff but generally speaking our hotels are in great shape because they're run by brilliant people who have never you know had too much debt and are not panicking now because a bit like myself I think anyone in the industry who's been thinking forward has always been assuming that there was going to be some major disruption to the industry would be mad not to it's like a hotel in the Caribbean not preparing for a hurricane once in every five or ten years you're gonna get hit it's gonna be devastating Let's talk about that because what kind of crisis management is there from these businesses? Is it something that they do think? I mean, I guess, yeah, if you're at that hotel in the Caribbean, you're going to think about what happens. But how much have they been prepared for something like this? We prep for crises all the time. We'd be mad not to. You know, everything from you and your clients or you and myself, my team, and my clients. And I, I think that's been a big shift for us in the last few years is this crisis planning part of the business because that was just something you just never did a few years ago and it was that notorious what sparked you doing that well just realizing through social media how a crisis that can seem very small that used to be you know only ever escalated if it got to a newspaper through social media now can become a huge drama within minutes and hours you know, all somebody needs to do is post a picture of a horrendous, you know, meal that they've had in a restaurant and it could go viral. Uh, it could be that the way a, an owner of a restaurant then decides to react with, you know, if they refuse to pay their bill, how they behave. This can escalate so quickly through social media. And you see instances of it every single day. Hotels, restaurants reacting badly to a consumer that doesn't like something that they've had, you know, and this is the problem. What is a crisis? A crisis can be anything from food poisoning to a way a hotel owner reacts on TripAdvisor that can go viral to a flight cancellation to anything. There are so many scenarios now. And of course, then there's the worst case scenario. Somebody dies or, you know, there's a plane crash. I was involved working with Malaysia Airlines when they had both the Malaysia Airlines incidents, the plane going missing and the plane crash. What were you doing in that scenario? We we were their PR agency at the time. Yeah, so these scenarios have changed and we had always prepared. We have our own crisis planning. I had always prepared us for a terror attack in London that would shut down 
London, it would stop people traveling a sort of 9-11 in my head. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually always been putting, I called it my war chest of support to the business that I was putting aside every year in case there was ever a terror attack. And it would help the business if we basically had to shut it down for three months. So actually, that's put us in an incredibly strong position mm-hmm. now to get through this next few months. And so I, I guess your message is, as a business, an independently run business, you need to a really good cash buffer in the bank. Oh, a hundred percent. And and yeah. the same for hotels. Yeah. And you know, we look after a lot of hotels in the Caribbean. Hurricane Irma came through two years ago and just slammed through, you know, it hit Barbuda, it hit Antigua, it hit all through the Caribbean. And we look after the Eden Rock Hotel in St. Bart's and they were very badly affected both by storm surge and by the hurricane itself, the wind damage. And and actually they rebuilt, they're a very stable business. It reopened this year and is incredible. And I think businesses that don't prepare these days for a crisis are very naive, basically. But I mean, this is a crisis. I mean, there's the crisis and then there's a crisis. And, you know, we were chatting the other day, you and I, and you were saying, this is an invisible terrorist. That's what you said to me. And, and that's played on my mind. Yes. And I thought you summed it up so well. I mean, yes. you can't prepare for something like this, right? I mean, no, this is, and, this is and global. That, that's it, exactly. I mean, that's, there's me preparing for this terror attack. And it, and it was. Corona has been the invisible terrorist. And this invisible terrorist is impossible to try and work out where it's going next or when it's going to end. And, and mm. that's the tough thing for our industry and all industries. I'm not saying that now. I mean, I think travel got hit first because people simply couldn't, you know, get away. And these hotels, we've got properties in Italy and Asia, all over the world that have been devastated. And I'm terrified for the situation in Africa. But I think, you know, everyone's being so positive and the industry is amazing and it's clubbing together. And, you know, we're all supporting each other and hoping for some good news. It'll uh, swing back, no doubt. It will, it will. And it's already starting to swing back a little bit in Asia. Is that right? You mentioned you had clients in Asia. Are any of them starting to reopen yet? So in terms of reopening as yet, we're not seeing anything right now. We're seeing plans. Um, What is happening is at these little green shoots, which I tell you are just so exciting. So we look after a brilliant company called 360 Private Travel. They have home working travel agents all over the world. And they have a team in in Asia, who obviously were affected first. And over the last two weeks, they're really beginning to see some nice inquiries and bookings coming in. It's people looking for autumn, for Christmas. 2021 is beginning to look fantastic. The same with Scott Dunn. I had a really great chat with them. You know, those big celebrations, honeymoons, all those kind of things that people are having to put off this year. They're not going to not do them. They're not going to not plan for them. And they are coming through for 2021. Really, really exciting. Um, 2021 is going to be a bloody good year, isn't it? It's It's got to be. Absolutely. It's going to be an amazing year. And, you know, people's thirst to travel is not going to go away. In fact, more than anything, whilst we're sitting here all locked up in our homes, we're getting inspiration from, you know, social media, amazing pictures through Instagram. I mean, I just sit with people that are reacting to just what I post on Instagram, which is just the places I love the most around the world. You're looking at Singita in Africa have put webcams up in their waterholes in Tanzania, in 
you know, in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, people are tuning in to look at what the animals are doing at dusk and things. You know, there are brands that are doing brilliant things and inspiring people. Six Senses have created the most fantastic inspiration at home with bringing sort of meditation and yoga sessions and healthy eating and just great sharing beautiful, inspiring ideas for well-being. And it's those Love kind that. of things Love which are, people are going to feel very connected. And yeah. we had an amazing, we've got a beautiful small group of hotels in northern Norway, right up on the northwest coast in all the fjords, just beautiful. And I was sitting talking to the owner the other day and they got this fantastic booking inquiry through last week, which was an Italian family who had been in lockdown in Rome for the last you know, three or four weeks have obviously been just searching for places they want to travel to as a family together, getting inspiration, came across this brand, 60T Nord, and just wrote this kind of incredibly beautiful email saying that's going to be the first place they go as a family. They want to go in August, eight of them on a kind of totally beautiful adventure through the fjords, go somewhere that matters, you know, somewhere that they're going to see nature and space and natural beauty. And I think this is what I'm getting very inspired by because I've just noticed for myself this kind of way that I want to travel now, which is very raw, very remote, very real. It's brands like that that offer you that kind of thing that's it's not about luxury anymore. It's about going to places and doing things that incredible experiences, meeting amazing people, engaging with people, being social. So it's those kind of places that are, I hate to keep using the word inspiration, but you know, I went to Panama last year. It totally blew my mind. It's basically like Jurassic Park, the land that time forgot. This trip I just did to Norway. When I went recently to East Africa, you know, those huge spaces where you just get to see nature and wilderness mm. and wild at its best. And I think that's what people are going to want next year more than they're going to want to travel further mm. and deeper into places that mean something. You know, let's hope we still get a bit of summer that we'll be able to travel. I think that's what we're all hoping. Certainly, oh, I think yeah. getting away and just pitching a tent somewhere in yeah. you know the UK, that's going to yeah. be step number one is people yeah. still have to keep a certain distance, but actually, you know, want to just get out of their homes. I, know. And I think the, their the British coastline has never seemed more appealing. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to quiz you on your favorite places to sure. go. I mean, you travel the world. I mean, I follow you on Instagram and I'm just like, whoa, there she is again. 
something <laughs> fabulous. But where are your favourite places to travel to? For people who are listening, who want some inspiration from the lady that knows, where <laughs> okay. are your favourite places? So, I mean, I love East Africa. I love Kenya. I love Tanzania, the Serengeti. You know, those are bucket list places. We've got a hotel opening in Botswana later this summer called Kidra in the Okavango Delta. And I just can't wait. The thought of going to see something like, you know, the Okavango Delta and the ecosystem amazing and you know the the whole of southern africa you know and it's such good value as well down in south africa you've got all the western cape the cedarberg mountains all around the winelands you know i think africa and south africa it's not just the safari world i think it's so beautiful on the coastline too i just love a dose of gorgeous glamour as well you know provence getting down to the somewhere in the south of france italy the little sibuay properties in provence Glamorous, gorgeous Chateau Saint-Martin outside of Nice, high over the hill overlooking the Riviera. Those kind of places. I love Italy so much. It's somewhere I've only recently fallen in love with. And down in Puglia in the south is becoming such... I've know, never been there. I'm absolutely dying to go. I've oh, quite totally. I've not, but. We've got a beautiful new little hotel down there called Castello di Agente, which has literally just been restored at an ancient castle. And I think for me, it's somewhere that merges history, culture with natural beauty. And also mm. that, that offers some kind of good value as well, that you can get out and just go for a gorgeous walk somewhere and eat in a little beautiful trattoria, you know, for, for a few euros and have a local glass of wine. I love the glamour of a beautiful Grand Dame hotel, but I also love to be able to walk down the road and go and have a nice, you know, glass of, of local wine somewhere. I love travelling to the States in the summer or even September and October, you know, going into New England, going to Rhode oh, Island. I haven't been there either. I so want to go oh there. My, Is it my, amazing? It's, Tell me what? what it's like. It's so special because it's just so beautiful. It's so perfect. You know, you go somewhere like Nantucket, right? Because it was a Quaker community, it was got so well preserved over the years. Whereas somewhere like Martha's Vineyard became sort of these big, huge vacation homes. Actually, Nantucket are these tiny little cottages. Some of them don't even have heating and aren't open in the winter. It's so beautiful. You basically just sort of go for long bike rides, beautiful beaches. Um, it looks a bit like boats. a model home, doesn't it? It does. And honestly, some people... It's not get- real. Some people actually think it's sort of fake, but it's totally Mm. not. It's so real and authentic. And I actually love going to those places off season. If you go to like New England in September and October, crowds have gone. It's basically, Georgie, I know we both have this shared love of Norfolk. Well, I'm sitting right now looking out on our family farm. It's got that vibe. It's very authentic. And the people are so great. The dream is, I love Boston, fly to Boston, hire a car, very easy. Boston is such an easy city. It's, it's a is very, it, is it a great city? Oh my God. It's amazing because it's just full of history. It's, it's a very small city. Obviously, then you can go and do some of the geeky stuff like go and see Harvard and Cambridge and all these yeah. interesting places. But then just drive down the Cape through Cape Cod, go to Providence, go down to Rhode Island, America's smallest state. And there's a beautiful town called Watch Hill with a great hotel called the Ocean House. But on the way, you stop in Newport and you go to all the kind of old mansions and all the sort of yachting areas. It is so romantic and magical. They also have such great weather. You know, September, October is always lovely. And then it gets freezing in the winter. So they've got the perfect climate, if you ask me. Very jealous. Um, George, you're selling it to me. It sounds fabulous. <laughs> you are selling it to me. You really are. And for Europe, I mean, you've mentioned Puglia. Anywhere yeah. else in Europe that you would really recommend that people check out? if they're hoping to get away this summer. (laughs) 
So there's a place down in southwest France around Massignac, which so you fly to Bordeaux and it's all around Limoges, Cognac. And it's a part of France I just didn't know. It's mm. actually very, very rural, but incredibly beautiful. There's a wonderful property down there called the Domaine des Etans, which is a sort of working estate with a beautiful chateau in the middle. Um, and you can rent beautiful cottages all around the estate as well as stay in the chateau. But it's a region of France that I absolutely loved. And from there, you can then go and do a sort of road trip into Bordeaux and stay in a beautiful chateau like Chateau Trollamondo. And I've been around there. It's great around there. It's much quieter than other parts of France in the summer. Absolutely. And you can also get, you know, all the local cognac and wine producers down there and you can, yeah, you know, it's fun. It's a different kind yeah. of adventure. And It's and not so glitzy as other parts of the south of France, but no, it's, it's nice. There's so many other great places to look at as well, like the Alps in the summer. I mean, that's becoming increasingly popular as the coastline well, is just I'm getting so busy. Well, I'm supposed to be doing that. I'm supposed to be doing a two week road trip with another family who we get on really well with and we're supposed to be doing a week at a fab hotel in the south and then going to Chamonix for a week oh yeah um we have found this chalet that I have to say is amazing and it was really just so reasonable like a snip yeah. of what you'd pay for it in the ski season well, and it's really lovely so I'm really excited to do the Alps I did it as a child and we're going to be luging and paraponting yeah. and whitewater rafting and all these things for families it's unbelievable yeah. and actually yeah. Scott Dunn a really did a big push on it last year and it did fantastically well chalets that would never have opened in the summer normally decided yeah. to do it and resorts are becoming you know the traditional resorts would always be open in the summer over the winter and obviously the yeah. winter became the whole thing and then now it's flipping back again and if you go to places like Majeves you know they are so well equipped for the summer I went in oh, September last year I had one of the best weekends I ever had can we just talk about Majeve as being <laughs> one of I mean Majeve has my heart I tell you so it, I spent beautiful. quite a lot of time there as a child and it's just beautiful shout out for La Femme de Marie and all their, oh, all their wonderful t- hotels and anyway, if you're looking out for a lovely place and it's an hour from Geneva as well so completely oh my god right? it's it's such a doable weekend if you get on a flight after work on a Friday the flight's an hour and a half it's an hour drive you can have a yeah. gorgeous weekend there you can go for lovely walks in the mountains you can yeah. have gorgeous food rooms. as well Food's great. No, it's great. it's a dream. I think I think yeah. this sort of alpine summers are going to become more and more of a thing. And again, for this mm. year as well, if travel opens up, you know, you can get in your car, you can drive to the Alps pretty easily. Lovely journey there. Stop in Champagne on the way in a great hotel and journey through. I love sort of getting in a car and getting off the motorway and like wiggling through and stopping in Burgundy and stopping yeah. at the Royal Champagne for a night and stocking up all my champagne. Or, yeah. And then getting exactly somewhere what we're do. and you sort of wiggle back. I think you've got to make the journey. We always say make the journey part of the holiday. Don't make it functional. Actually Absolutely. make that part of the fun. Travel <laughs> trends that we haven't covered. Are there any really obvious trends that you've seen up until now that so, you think are worth sharing? Absolutely. You know, the big trend of last year was this experiential travel, which is still absolutely there. You know, they don't just want to go anymore and just go flop on a beach. They want to go and actually do something, have an experience. I think that's now gone a little bit further. And actually, people want to go and maybe learn something, you know, learn a language or learn to surf or learn. So it's not just an experience. It's actually coming away with an additional skill. People just actually want to go and do something on holiday now. Yeah. Um, this is why even city breaks that people are choosing now, you know, people are obsessed with things like Lisbon because they're just a bit more interesting. You can do more things there. I think the other thing which I have touched on previously, it is about getting as raw and as real 
as you can now. I think the brands of the future that understand this, which is about, you know, stripping back a lot of, excuse my French, BS on this, and being part of a community and engaging with, you know, people. And I'm not talking about it on some sort of Four Seasons-esque detached way. Oh, here's yeah. a local village. You can come and meet the local Maasai kind of thing. I'm talking about it in a way that is, you know, the locals are in the bar of the hotel and you're just naturally engaging with, with people who are from the local community and learning about them. Or you're going fishing with somebody interesting that you met, that it's not just part of a our experience guidebook that you can do and you can go fishing with this person. It's changing. People want to do things that really are authentic and that feel very real. They want to explore. They want to get lost. You know, you're looking more and more companies that you don't plan everything in your holiday. Some of it gets planned for you. The same way you're looking at restaurants nowadays that don't give you a really big menu. They say, we've got a meat dish, a fish dish and a vegetarian dish. Which one do you feel like? And do you have any allergies? Mm. You know, it's these sort of things that are happening, which I think are great. There's so much choice. And actually, sometimes it's lovely to go to a restaurant. And they're like, we have house wine and we have these three choices on our menu. And you're like, oh, love oh, that. Joy. Happy days. Love something a bit personal, a bit less flash. And yes. Yeah, just a bit more in touch with where you are. I think that's, I think that's great. Let's about honeymoons is a crap 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 time to be a bride <laughs> two of the Sherlock's team have had to postpone their weddings gutting gutting uh, yeah. as have many many people but if you are engaged and you're planning your honeymoon I mean I think the great thing is just talking to you now there's so much pleasure from talking about travel my husband and I have never been people to book last minute and so was like part of the enjoyment of holiday is thinking about it and you know the excitement you have in the build-up so you know you can still get excited about honeymoons um and enjoy the research phase if people are listening and want to look at some destinations they might not have heard of so scrap seychelles maldives blah, blah, blah. i mean all of you <laughs> don't get me wrong i'm not knock that but if they're looking for something a bit different have you got any recommendations yes absolutely oh my god so many so first of all what i would say is i think that the joy of a honeymoon part of it is that planning and for me that would be you know where i see my friends getting the most inspired it's getting excited it's probably arguments in the process and all the rest of it <laughs> but actually it's that planning process that is part of it you know and of course, people have got a lot more time to plan that. It shouldn't be the kind of, oh, God, I've got to do the honeymoon. It's got to be, oh, look, this next year we're going to do our honeymoon. I think a journey is a really exciting thing to do. So, you know, for example, like we talked about with New England, you know, hiring a car and spending two weeks wiggling through New England and, and perhaps ending up in New York at the end of it, having gone through all the kind of beautiful antiques villages like in Connecticut I think that's one that I would love to do personally I would um, love to do that one yes please yeah nah. totally I have to say for me going to Panama last year and I think Central America offers something absolutely extraordinary I think one of the joys of when you go on honeymoon is actually people going where are you going and you say yeah. something like I'm going to Panama and they're like what why are you going to Panama <laughs> and I found that when I came back from Panama people were literally like whoa you know the problem nowadays is everyone's been everywhere they're sort of a bit kind of nonplus for everything okay whatever you went there but when you come back and you say I went to Panama I went to the Pacific coast I went to an 18 island archipelago off the Pacific coast then I traveled round. I went to the Caribbean side there's this place called Ilha Secas it is mind-blowing the other place that I felt like that the same about was a place called Raja Ampat in Indonesia where 
you know, it's a beast to get to. In fact, that's part of the fun. It's a total nightmare to get there. But when you're there, it is 60,000 uninhabited islands off the coast of Papua, where you go around in these beautiful finessey sailing yachts. They're not expensive. There's one called Tiger Blue. It's absolutely fantastic. They're these incredible journeys. You go off on the boat for seven days. Then I'd go and have a week at the end at one of my favorite places in the world, Nihi on Sumba Island, which is an island that was probably like Bali was 50 years ago. It's twice the size of Bali, but it's totally undeveloped. They still, uh, locals gallop around on horses. They practice something called the Pozzola, which is a sort of spear throwing local festival. Incredible. Beaches are miles long. You can ride horses, you know, local horses. It's very, very beautiful. It's very remote. And it's places like this for me that are the exciting places for honeymoons. I think Sri Lanka offers something amazing as well. I mean, Sri Lanka has had a double hit. You know, not only is it being affected now, it had the terrible situation last Easter and was all Mm. just bouncing back again. There are some fantastic Mm. hotels around Sri Lanka. And for me, it's sort of India light. You know, if Uh if you find India a little bit too hectic and you've got this beautiful, quite serene sister, you know, country, Sri Lanka, and to go up into the tea country, you know, there's places, Thotalagala, Teardrop Hotel, just beautiful little properties. And you just hop about. For me, again, that's what I love. And then you can twin that very easily with the Maldives. You can do yeah. your romantic, That's gorgeous. perfect, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we've got US road trip. We've got Sri Lanka. Got where Indonesia. Else Indonesia. And, and we've got Panama. And we've got Panama. Okay, boom. There you go. They, they sound like pretty good honeymoon destinations <laughs> to me. Finally, Jules, can I quiz you on your favourite place for a short haul break? My favourite place for a short haul break would be... Okay, can I give two? Is that bad? Yes, go on, give two. Okay. Break the rules, I always say. So, Amalfi Coast, oh. Monastero Santa Rosa, get me by that pool. That's one. Yes. Number I'm two, there. Glen Eagles. Absolutely oh. love it. I, Glen I'm... Eagles has made a real comeback. Well, that's because they decided to work with Perone International. But anyway, <laughs> Glen Eagles is firmly back on the map. Okay, short haul, long haul. My long haul would be Indonesia, Nihi. Or Bauer. Where are you going to go for some fun? Some party party? For party party, honestly, take me to the south of France. Glamour, good old fashioned, down at the Chateau Saint-Martin. That's what I want. That's Group of girlfriends by the pool. That's, that's where you belong. And for some downtime. That's sure. That's where, what I need is once a year to go there and just look after myself. Absolutely essential. Jules, thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks for inviting me. It was just such a nice way to spend an, oh. half an hour because it's been a, a, a tough, tough few weeks. I know. I know. Well, I am thinking of you. You have built a phenomenal business. I have no doubt you will get through this. We'll all get through this. And the good times, the good holidays will roll again. Uh, Jules, thank you Thanks, so Georgie, much. And for your support. Really appreciate it. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, stay safe, stay well, look after each other, and we will be back soon. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.